Good morning. Happy Monday. And welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, the Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Amy G. and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. Today's date is Tuesday, I'm sorry, Monday, February 27th. And today we are reading from the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, the bottom of page 9 in Bill's story. Today's readers are Meg F., Wendy M., and Becky K., Libby E., and Mara Z. The reference numbers for yesterday's special edition is 9660, and for the 7 a.m. Vision for You meeting this morning, Monday morning, 9662. That's 9660 and 9662. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask for Libby E. to read the 12 steps. Go ahead, Libby. Thank you, Amy, for your service. Good morning. I'm Libby E., Recovered Compulsive Eater in New York. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, can't believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Libby E. I will now ask for Mara Z to read the 12 traditions. Go ahead, Mara. Good morning, Mara Z in Virginia Recovered, 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants, they do not govern. Three. 
The only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. Thus, problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction, rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for letting me do service, Amy, and I pass. Thank you, Mara. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. If you go over, you'll hear me say time. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. And we ask you to please not speak on speakerphone when you are speaking because it creates an echo. Today, we resume our study in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous in Bill's story on the bottom of page 9. And I am going to ask Meg F. to get us started. Meg, go ahead. Oh, and let me just say that we're going to be reading a couple of paragraphs, but on page 9 is where we're going to focus on those three paragraphs are sharing. Okay, go ahead, Meg. Thank you, Amy. Good morning, everyone. My name is Meg. I am a compulsive overeater. I'm going to begin at the bottom of page nine. But, but he did no ranting. In a matter-of-fact way, he told how two men had appeared in court, persuading the judge to suspend his commitment. They had told of a simple religious idea and a practical program of action. That was two months ago, and the result was self-evident. It worked. He had come to pass his experience along to me, if I cared to have it. I was shocked, but interested. Certainly I was interested. I had to be, for I was hopeless. He talked for hours. Childhood memories rose before me. I could almost hear the sound of the preacher's voice as I sat on still Sundays, way over there on the hillside. There was a pro-offered temperance pledge. There was that pro-offered 
principal pledge that I signed, I never signed, my grandfather's good-natured contempt of some church folk and their doings, his insistence that the spheres really had their music, but his denial of the preacher's right to tell him how he must listen, his fearlessness as he spoke of these things just before he died. These recollections welled up from the past. They made me swallow hard. That work that wartime day in old Winchester Cathedral came back again. I had always believed in a power greater than myself. I had often pondered these things. I was not an atheist. Few people really are. For that means blind faith in a strange proposition that this universe originated in a cipher and aimlessly rushes nowhere. My intellectual heroes, the chemists, the astronomers, even the evolutionists, suggested vast laws and forces at work. Despite contrary indications, I had little doubt that a mighty purpose and rhythm underlie it all. How could there be so much of precise and immutable law and no intelligence? I simply had to believe in the spirit of the universe. Who knew neither time nor limitation? But that was as far as I had gone. Thank you. Wow. I am looking for a timer. That's okay. I got you, Meg. Okay, you got me. So, uh, uh, it's a pretty big paragraph. <laughs> Thank you all for being here for me. Um, wow. I first thing that strikes me about uh, the paragraph before we're actually beginning is that it's a practical program of action, and I could have it if I cared to. In terms of the paragraphs we're discussing today on page ten childhood memories so mine are different than this and uh, I do feel I do feel a lot of them I guess the strongest one um, to jump right in on a Monday morning was that when my mother was dying I was young I was 16 and she had cancer and I saw her crying one day I came in mom why are you crying and she said um, I'm crying because I need God and I don't really feel God. And she had raised six of us in the Catholic faith and um, had shown up every day. She wasn't Catholic. She converted from my father. Um, point being, she did have faith and she did raise us in faith. And she couldn't feel it or find it. It wasn't a practical faith. She didn't have something to rely on as she was dying. And she knew that she felt alone and scared. And that was a very significant feeling that I had. And all the people, my father and grandmother and many people that had spent time in church who really did feel very solid. That was an experience that came back to me, too. So when you ponder a power greater than yourselves, I was um, getting married. Um, and my husband wasn't a churchgoer particularly at all. And we would go to church because I wanted to pick a church, any church. I didn't care to raise my family in sort of a faith-based something. And uh, we ended up at the Unitarians. But the point being that my husband would look around and he'd look at all these other people and he felt like they all had something that he didn't have. And I just looked at him and I just felt really differently that he had so much. He was questioning. He was wondering. He was seeking. He was thinking. He was willing. I thought that was really enough. And I, I just remember saying, hey, you know, you don't really know if anybody here that knows all the verses and can say everything out loud has any more faith in you. Like we compare our insights to other people's outsides. And I think that's my takeaway. And I think with that, I'll um, pass and say thank you. 
Thank you, Meg. So who else would like to share, focusing on the paragraph on Charles Rage. Thank you, Marie J. Debbie Y. I got Charles H. Debbie Y., but who was in between, please? Uh, Marie J. Emily J. Marie J. Oh, Marie J. Yes. Okay, so Marie J. Was there an Emily then? Did you get Becky K? Nope. Becky, I got you. Okay. So I have Charles H., Marie J., Debbie W., and Becky K. Anybody else? Kathy Jo. Debbie Y. Kathy Jo. Oh, was it Debbie Y instead of Debbie W? Is that right? Wendy M. Okay, Wendy M. All right, we're going to hold with that. Um, was it Debbie W or Debbie Y, or was it, did I have two Debbies? Just wanted to clarify. All right, well, I'm going to go with Debbie Y then. I'm assuming you corrected me. Yeah, Debbie Y. Okay, awesome. Thank you. All right, so Charles H., Marie J., Debbie Y., Becky K., Kathy Joe, Wendy M. Charles H., you are up. Go ahead, please. Thank you, Amy, for your service. Charles H., a recovered compulsive overeater. And I want to drill down where it says, um, I simply had to believe in a spirit of the universe who knew neither time nor limitation, but that was as far as I had gone. I can identify with Bill W. there. And, um, he, you know, he's going to be doing, you know, and I think it, the reading started on page nine, but he did no ranting. Evie did no ranting. Bill's going to do some ranting. <laughs> and I can identify with doing some ranting as well because, you know, fear propels control. I didn't want to give up control. And, you know, um, it doesn't matter what my faith is, so I'm not going to tell you, and it, it's not important here. It, you know, wh- what does page 46 say? It says, you know, if I could just, if I could just, um, who could comprehend a supreme being anyhow, right? So, like, oh, if, if I could, um, we found that as, as we were able to lay aside prejudice and express even a willingness to believe in a power, I don't have to believe anything like Harlan said earlier, but just express a willingness. Because, see, you know, um, I, I, I don't understand God, and I never will. I, I don't know what man came first, and it don't matter. I don't know what animal came first. I don't know who made the clouds, who made the skies. One thing I do know, that God in my life is a spirit, and, and God is not human. Um, because, you know, if he was human, then he would have character defects. I think God is perfect. And um, I had to be beaten down. You know, you ever been in an arm? Yeah, none of y'all never been in an arm wrestling and you had to beg uncle. I mean, he slammed my heart, hand down so hard, I had to beg uncle. I had to cry uncle. And and, and that's the only way I would have been open enough to um, to have a power greater than myself come in. We think God's going to fly down and, and, and all that stuff. And like I shared on the second hour, um, you know, I know a lot of church people that, that, that are dying. <laughs> you know, they have a lot of faith, but they, they won't turn over their food to, 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 a, to a God of their understanding. You know, they, they say hallelujah for everything, but um, when it comes to the food addiction, they think God has, you know, other things to do. <laughs> but God, if we seek God, he, he will be concerned if we give him everything. So um, with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Amy G., for my voice this morning. <laughs> Thank you, Charles. Go ahead, Marie J., you are up, please. 
Press star one to unmute, Marie. Hi there. Sorry, Marie J. Um, I'm uh, recovered in Colorado. Can you hear me? I've got you. Go ahead. Great. Um, I also uh, had always believed in God, and I, um, just like Bill said, um, I was raised in church. I was. I had a very conservative and strict upbringing through church, but that belief in God was created by others for me. And that God was punishing, was judging, was wrathful. It was created in the image of man. And I really resisted it. And I rejected God because I felt, I felt the wrath of God through my childhood. So when I got into program and it was time to have a relationship with God, it was really hard. And uh, I relapsed over it. And I just couldn't get there. I had to work hard, and I had to, I had to constantly be in meditation asking for God to re- reveal the truth to me about what God is, and I had to be willing. I mean, I couldn't even say the word God. In my first big book, I crossed out the word God throughout the entire book and wrote in HP. That's how bad it was for me. And I had just so much resistance, but I did get willingness. I got willingness to have an understanding and a different experience of God. And I was a mess and hurting. I had to do something. I had to have it. So I had to have willingness, and that's where it stood. Uh, That's where it started. I I, I asked for understanding, and I had to meditate and keep my mouth shut and listen for answers. And I had to take time, and I had to write about it. I had to take action. I had to be patient for the changes that took time, and they took time. And for a long time, I just said, God, whoever you are, whatever you are, I'm willing to know you and experience you and have recovery. And that was the key. I took action. You know, this is a program of action. And every day I have to take action. Every day I have to be completely and wholeheartedly willing to be in a relationship and entire reliance on God. And now in my recovery, God comes through every time because I'm in that active relationship every minute of the day, whether I'm hurting or happy or grateful, I'm in that relationship with God. And today, no one tells me what to believe. No one tells me who God is or what God is and what I need to believe. All I need to believe is that there is something greater than me that I can rely on. And every day, my relationship with God deepens, and I rely more and more, and I give up more and more, and my, my disease wants to control. My disease wants to jump in and rely on myself, but that, that need to control softens, and it always gets better when I get outside of myself and I attach myself to a power greater than myself and serve that power, serve that power by reaching out to others. And my recovery deepens, and my freedom and my happiness deepens. So all I've got to say is everyone on this line can recover and everyone on this line can find a higher power and and have this recovery. Thank you. Pass. Thank you, Marie. Debbie Y., it is your turn. Please go ahead. Hi, this is Debbie Y. calling from Vermont, northern Vermont, recovered in program and first time live. (laughs) Welcome. Um, Thank you. but I have been in program for a long time. Um, last summer, I had the joy of driving down to East Dorset, and so 
I got to see this little church that he's talking about on the hillside, and um, it's located in between the Wilson House, the old inn where Bill W. was born, and on the other side of the church is the Griffith House where he lived with his grandparents. Um, and it was a very, very special visit. Um, and uh, I, could, I could feel a spirit <laughs> of God moving all around in all of the buildings. And it reminded me, reading this passage, of my upbringing. It was very similar, a small um, New England church with a white steeple and my grandparents were also very involved in the church. But I didn't want to go. I didn't want to go to Sunday school. I didn't want to be dragged there. Um, the basement where we were uh, had Sunday school smelled old and musty, and it was not a good experience at all. But because uh, my family was so involved in that church, um, you know, I went right through high school. But I did not have an, a, a spiritual awakening until I came into these rooms. Um, I had no idea um, what that was going to be like, and it was amazing, and that was the true miracle of um, this spiritual journey, is working the steps through the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, but then again, um, those early years, like Bill, the seeds were planted, and... Um, the the uh, odd people, like he calls them the spheres, really had their music, a, a section of society with particular characterization. Um, all the, you know, the weird people in church, it's full of recovering sinners, but um, that's where the seeds were planted. But I did not have an ex a spiritual awakening until I came into these rooms. And I just want to say thank you to everybody um, and thank you for all your service. And together we can do what we could not do alone. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Debbie. Debbie. Becky Kay, your turn. Yes, thank you, Amy. Um, this is Becky Kay from Maryland, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Um, this, these um, paragraphs really resonated with me, um, especially in the beginning when it says, I had always believed in a power greater than myself. I think Bill is, is kind of sharing that he did have a, a, a prejudice against God, but, but he did believe. And I, I truly did. When I walked into the doors of OA, I, I believed too. As a matter of fact, I had believed so much that when everyone was talking about God or higher power or spirit of the universe, I, I thought, okay, am I like joining some cult here? Like I have my own God. Thank you very much. But if you look at the last sentence of that paragraph on page 10 that we read, I simply had to believe in a spirit of the universe. I simply had to believe. While I did believe, as that first sentence says, I had always believed, I did not really turn my will and my life over to the care of God. I said the Lord's Prayer every day, you know, our Father who art in heaven, thy will be done. But I didn't do God's will. I did my own will. I had my own ego. I wanted to be right. I wanted to be in control. I thought I knew it all, especially when it came to food. But I didn't. And when I started working the program with my fellows in my home group, and as the bottom of page nine says, you know, 
when people share their experience along the, the, he, he, the, the reading said he had come to pass his experience along to me. And right before that sentence, it says it worked. In other words, y'all shared a program that worked. And part of the program is that we had to turn our will and our life over to the care of God. Because I knew I was powerless. If you look at page 10, the second sentence of the page, I had to, for I was hopeless. When I walked in the doors, I was hopeless. And so while I believed in a God, I didn't have that spiritual awakening. I didn't really turn my life and my will over to the care of God until I worked this simple program. And as the paragraph before said, you know, the man, he said, Bill was telling us he talked for hours and I had to listen to my fellows. I had to listen to their experience, strength, and hope on how they worked this program and eventually ended up to step 12 and had that spiritual awakening. And to me, that's what this program is all about. And that is the sole reason I was able to recover, not be cured, but be recovered from compulsive overeating. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Becky. Kathy Joe, you're up. Star one to unmute, Kathy. Hello, this is Kathy Joe, recovered compulsive overeater in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I just want to start with that I, many times in my life, have been what I would call a religious person. I have a degree in theology, actually and worked with the church for many years. And at the same time, I came into OA spiritually bankrupt and did not feel a connection to my higher power. And I believe most of that was because I had so many blocks with um, my food that was in the way, the character defects that were in the way, and the amends that I needed to make. And I just want to say that every step along the way in this program, I am beginning every day more and more to feel the sunlight of the spirit. And at the same time, even in the very beginning, when I would take time and pause and recognize God within me, God around me, I was able to access that power. Um, so I'm saying it's always there, no matter how much muck I have inside with my defects or with my amends I need to make, it was available to me from day one. Um, the intensity or the easier access, um, happens as I move along in this program. Maybe that's a better way to word it. And the other thing I want to say is that in my dishonesty in this program, I many times would, if my kids would go to church with someone else, I would sneak off and do my own thing and not go to church and pretend to those around me that I was going to church. And Saturday night, I went to church, and I, I'm sorry if that's not people saying church. For me, it is. But I went to church alone drove across town because I actually was introduced to this priest that said something to me, and he's actually a 12-stepper, and he said something to me 
that spoke to me like nothing had ever spoken before to me before. And he said, bring your hunger and your poverty to Christ. And so I went to church alone Saturday night to a place where I was the only one there. I didn't have any friends with me, anything. And I'm going again tonight because I'm in a book study. And it is so exciting for me to have recognized this hunger and recognize the poverty. And for me, the poverty is the spiritual malady that's holes inside of me that only God can fill. And as I recognize this hunger, I keep going to my God that will fill me, and I'll pass. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much, Kathy Jo. Wendy M., you are up. Please go ahead. Wendy, press star one, please, to unmute. Yes, good morning. Hi, it's Wendy M., recovered in Colorado, um, and delighted to be on the line with everybody. What a gift. And uh, Amy, thank you so much for your service. I'm assuming you can hear me. I can hear you just fine. Fabulous. Okay, so the word that pops out for me is contempt. Um right, his good-natured contempt of some church folk. So I grew up um, in a family that we were never outwardly contempt, like we didn't have outward contempt, um, but it was so obvious to me growing up. Um, so I grew up Jewish in Los Angeles, and um, it was a, what, we, our, what our faith was was politics. Our faith was intellect. Um, and I love to say we were intolerant liberals. That's one of my favorite things to say. Um, we believed in science. We, but mostly we believed in us. We believed in me. We believed in I. And we believed in we. And that's what I learned. Um, fabulous cultural upbringing as a, as a Jewish person. Loved my temple. Um, but God was spoken once one day. That's what I recall. Um, and I remember that we would hear preaching um, tolerance of everyone, but our family, I grew up intolerant. And that kept my life really small. It kept my head small, my heart small, my, my soul small. It kept it small. We were so intolerant that, for example, um, I swear to God this is true, there were, um, we were German Jews, and then there were the Russian Jews, and they lived in the valley. So not only were we intolerant of anybody who went to a church, but we were also intolerant of, like, sex of our people um, because anything different was terrifying. And we had to always just have self-reliance, willpower. I remember when I first got abstinent and my brother said, you have such good willpower. And I just smiled. You know, I didn't need to explain anything. So, so what's the answer? The answer is um, the open-mindedness that I've learned in this program. When my sponsor first read me the set-aside prayer, um, which is set aside anything you think you know about, me, about yourself, about this book, about God. And that prayer has given me so much freedom because I don't need to know anymore. I don't need to be, have contempt Anything is possible. And actually, if I go to a meeting and we have a group conscience, maybe they're right, not me. Maybe I don't know. And when I say to my husband, I don't know, what do you think? 
that's the set-aside prayer. That's the prayer that says maybe something different is the answer. And God wants me to unbelieve, unthink, undo. That's what this program is doing. An entire psychic change for me is undoing, unthinking, letting it go. Um, And that open-mindedness, again, gives me freedom, 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 and relief. And, oh, my God, I don't have to know. I don't have to pretend to know that my religion is better than other religions. I don't. Thank you. And thanks for letting me pass. Thank you, Wendy. And before we open up for other shares, I just would like to remind everyone to please mute their phones. We really appreciate it. And a word from our sponsor, A Vision for You presents, drumroll please, the power of the Big Book Convention 2017, September 15th through the 17th at Liberty International Airport Marriott in northern New Jersey. For all things convention, including community bulletin board and contact for info and questions, and check out our website at www.avision4u.info. That's a vision, the number four, u.info. So please spread the good news, and hopefully we'll see you all in September on the 15th. Okay, so back to our regularly scheduled program. Who would like to share on what was read in the paragraph? Sorry, Amy. This is Sylvia. I did not mean to interrupt. No problem. Sylvia? Sherry KB? Sherry KB? I'm going to stick myself in there, Amy G. Anybody else? Sylvia, what's your last initial, please? F, as in Fox. Mm -hmm. We have Sylvia F, Sherry KB, Amy G. Anybody else? Going once, going twice. All righty, we're going to go with these three. Sylvia, please go ahead. Hi, uh, thanks for your service, Amy. This is Sylvia F., a recovered compulsive overfeeder in California. And so happy to be on the line at this uh, second week at, of what we call the 7 o'clock meeting. It's the 10 o'clock meeting, East Coast of the Vision. And um, I, too, uh, wanted to um, comment on the line. I simply had to believe. And uh, so many of us have similar and so many of us have dis- dissimilar experiences, and I'd love to hear the sharing of it. So I was raised in an intellectual family, too. I've heard that on the line this morning. And um, we believed in our power of reason. We believed in intellect. There was a lot of uh, condescending attitudes towards people who did believe. And I remember feeling envious of people who had faith because I could see that they were more serene than our family was, I mean, there was so much judgment going on 24-7 um, and that, that I envied it. But, but I was raised in a family with, that was, I was raised to believe that those people uh, had less intellect. And so when I came in desperate in the program uh, and, and I was told, you know, I had to find a power greater than myself. I simply had to believe, you know, I, I came in so desperate that I just said, fine, point me in the direction. And I've said this on the lines many of the time. I started with not me. It didn't, as long as I knew I was not 
the higher power of the spirit of the universe. That was a huge, great step for me. And then I think I went from there to um, I could absolutely believe in nature because I could see, I, you know, we I definitely spent a lot of time out on boats and I could see the tides rising and lowering and I could see the, uh, the moon and the sun. And I, I would go through and use the serenity prayer and look at all the things I was not in control of and I could see that somewhere in there, there could be a spirit in the universe. And over time, what happened is I just grew faith. And, and that faith is, sustains me now in that I don't have to know. Isn't that, isn't that the, the definition of faith is believing without knowing? And uh, I wish I had raised my kids in, with, with uh, me being in the program. They don't have faith, and they certainly make a lot of fun of, of my beliefs. I don't talk a lot about it, but they can see the change in me. And it's not, I mean, I've had a huge change in my body. You know, I'm a normal body size. I don't fight with my food, but they can see it's way bigger than that. And the biggest change is that when life gets tough for them, grown kids, you know, adults, they do come to me for counsel and not for rescue. And uh, so I simply had to believe, you know, I came in willing. And I think it's fine that I didn't know how to do it. Uh, and just every day surrendered to what I didn't know. And I still do that today. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sylvia. Sherry KB, go ahead, please. Good morning, Amy. This is Sherry KB. Can I be heard? I can hear you great. Thanks, Amy. And good morning, everybody. Uh, this is Sherry KB in uh, Northern California, recovered today, thank, thanks by God. Um, you know, I uh, remember back in, uh, this was like 1989, I was living in Santa Barbara, and I went and heard an open AA meeting speaker. And this person was a um, recovering alcoholic who was a priest. He looked like Dudley Moore. Um, he, had, he was very funny. And he said something that has stuck with me all these years, and he said, man created religion and God created spirituality. And that's the difference. It's For me, it is having no one telling me what, how I should have a relationship with a power greater than myself, but me having a direct relationship with a power greater than myself. And when I actually um, went to an OA retreat um, at Camp S. Kramer in like 19, I don't know, 89, 90-ish, around that time, um, we did a, um, we did a, a, a little workshop on a higher power and what they had us do is to list the higher power that we grew up with the higher power that we had in our lives at the time and to fire both those higher powers and hire a new one and to list all those things that uh, we wanted in a power greater than ourselves and that that helped me tremendously it really did open the door a lot um, then when I got to here in 2000 I started listening to the Vision in 2013, got somebody in 2016 to take me through these steps. I found a, a, a deeper relationship with a power greater than myself. I used to rely on a higher power when it was convenient for me. The difference is today is I rely on a higher power every day, 24-7. I live in 10, 11, and 12. Um, without that higher power, I could not do this program. I could not be recovered. Um, they say that this book was uh, co-founded by Bill and Bob because the 
the big book was actually divine inspired. And um, throughout the book, it talks about we must believe in something greater than ourselves. It says how we, um, all we have to do is seek a power greater than ourselves, that it, um, it is not hard to connect. Um, and I actually loved, if you haven't heard the Sunday special edition yesterday, it was a wonderful speaker talking about um, what worked for her with a power greater than herself. Um, it was it was wonderful. And just that, you know, there's so many things in this book that says, you know, God is everything or God is nothing. Um, and on page 52, it says that, um, sorry, I'm getting there. Um, it says that, um, oops, my time's up. Um, just last but not least, uh, when we saw others solve their problems by simple reliance upon the spirit of the universe, we had to stop doubting the power of God. Our ideals did not work, but the God idea did. Thank you. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sherry KB. Hi, everyone. My name is Amy G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. I'm so grateful to be on the line here, and thank you, everyone, for your service and for all your shares and your honesty. And yeah, what I'm focusing on here is that, you know, I was not an atheist. And I laugh when I write that and I wrote on the corner here, you know, atheist, I was an atheist. <laughs> because basically it wasn't so much that I didn't believe in a higher power, but because I was so full with self-will and self, um, self-centeredness and selfishness and what I thought was what I wanted in life and what I wanted out of life. I mean, I had pondered God as well. I grew up in a semi-religious home. But you know what? When God didn't give me what my self-will wanted, I was like, well, to heck with you. You may be out there, but you're clearly not interested in me. And the thing is, you can only have two gods. You can only have one God, not two. And I wanted to be God. It was the bottom line. I wanted what I wanted, and I wanted life to be a certain way. I wanted my life to go a certain way. I wanted to be a certain way. I wanted things my way. And it talks about in the big book that selfishness, self-centeredness, we must get rid of it or it kills us. And I could see because what this disease did to me is it almost killed me. And I was the creator of the problem, my self-will, my self-centeredness, my character defects. I mean, I didn't know that when I walked into my first overeaters and anonymous meeting. But through the process of working these steps and finally surrendering that of myself I could not fix myself, then I had to believe in something greater than myself. And faced with my agnosticism, I had a sponsor who gratefully said, I don't care if you think it's Jesus, Buddha, or the universal vibes of the tree, as long as it's not you and it's greater than you. And at that point, my self-will, I mean, I had another person on the phone. I was dilly-dally and dying of this disease in OA, you know, almost five years in. And she said to me, look, if your way is working so well, why are you here? I mean, it was harsh, but it was the truth. My self-will was killing me, and what I thought would fix me and my knowledge of what I then knew of OA was going to fix me was literally killing me. And it talks about it in the chapter, How It Works. You know, we beg of you to be fearless and thorough from the very start. Some of us have tried to hold on to our old ideas, and the result was nil until we let go absolutely. Nil and absolutely. I had to let go of those old ideas, and I had to let go of the idea of me fixing me on my willpower and my knowledge alone, and that something out there better help me. And for a long time, it was the power of the group. That's all I needed. It was willingness was all I needed. This whole debate about what God was for me, all of that was put aside with the fact that I desperately needed something to help me not die of this disease. 
and I was willing to follow the instructions in whom the problem had been solved, and you all showed me the way. And that's all I needed to get started. Again, it goes to page 60. It says there were three things, A, B, and C, that we were alcoholic and could not manage our own lives, B, that no, probably no human power could, have, power could have relieved us from our alcoholism, that God could and would if we were sought. Well, I sought recovery. I was willing to take the action and follow the instructions. And that door, that key, willingness is the key, they say, was all I needed to get started. And with that, I'll pass. So we'll open up with some more sharing. So who would like to go ahead and share? Kathleen O. Kathleen O. Anybody else? we got time. Carol K. Carol K. Leah M. Leah M. Maybe one more. Anne Marie M. All right, Anne Marie M. We're going to go with that. Kathleen O, Carol K, Leah M, and Anne Marie M, as in Mary, right? All right. Kathleen O, please go ahead. Good morning. Thank you. This is Kathleen O, recovered in California. And like Bill, I grew up with religion, and I wasn't an atheist. But I learned at a, you know, I learned all the horrible things that would happen to me if I didn't follow the rules of my religion. And it really didn't take, even as a child, it didn't, for me, it didn't take more than a little common sense to realize that some of those rules, most of them, all of them really, were made up by man and not God. And so as a young child, you know, I grew up with a family that kind of followed them all and I, I followed the good ones, but some of the ones that didn't make sense just didn't make sense to me. And um, so as I got older and got on my own, I just said, you know, poo-poo on this. Um, I can't do this religious stuff. And so the first time I came to OA, I was in my 20s, and I kept hearing the word God, and I walked out. And, you know, where did that holy is now uh, attitude get me? But another three decades um, being over 200 pounds. And so when I came back into the rooms again, um, I realized I love the acronym Good, or, good orderly direction, and I love the one, the gift of desperation. And, and I did have the gift of desperation, so I realized I did have God. And all I needed to do was follow some directions and, and you know, put the food down. Um, it felt really good to put the food down, and I felt better. I started looking better. I got in a normal size of body. And and the spirituality part just kept gets getting got stronger and stronger, and it continues to do so. And I realized that, you know, I've heard that saying in the program, take what you want and leave the rest. Well, I think it's take what you want and be open-minded to the rest. Because as long as I stayed open-minded, as long as I continue to stay open-minded, I learned so much. And my spirituality just gets stronger and stronger. And... Uh, Thank you. With that, I pass. Thank you, Kathleen O. Here, okay, you're up, please. Press star one to unmute. Hi, this is Carol Kay, recovered compulsive overeater from New Jersey. 
Um, yeah. You know, I grew up um I grew up Catholic and my parents always forced me, you know, go to church, go to church on Sunday morning, get up, da 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 but they never went. And, you know, I'm not gonna go into this whole thing, I only have three minutes, but um, you know, the God of my understanding was I was afraid of that God. You know, because I go into that confessional booth, and then I felt like I was being punished for what I did. And so, anyhow, with all that said and done, I didn't want anything to do with God then through the years or anything. Well, then again, because I was playing God, the only time I wanted God is if someone I loved was in a hospital and dying. Then I ran for my mother's rosary beads. I ran for the statues, you know, my mother's statues and, you know, of different saints and different things like that. And I'd get on my knees and start praying and praying and praying. That's the only time I, I ever wanted God. And today, no, I have a whole different perception because of this program and because of the first 164 pages in this book and these 12 steps. Now, today, God is my best friend. God comes before my husband. God comes before my kids. God comes first in my life. Um, and and I'm grateful. I'm so grateful for this program, and I'm, I don't know what to tell you. I'm happy, joyous, and free. Am I perfect? Absolutely not. I have defects, and they come up every day. With that, I'll pass. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, okay. Leah M., you're up. Thank you so much. So, you know, in this conversation uh, between Ebby as Ebby talks to Bill Wilson and he's reflecting here, um, you know, I relate to that a lot. <laughs> I like to say that God came in through my wounds of the disease of compulsive overeating. Um, you know, the big book says when the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically, and malady means illness. When the spiritual illness is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. I had a spiritual illness. I didn't know that. I didn't know that I had an inordinate need for God. Um, that was something that really, you know, wasn't discussed, wasn't developed. I mean, we know about emotional immaturity, um, I was spiritually immature, spiritually undeveloped. It hadn't been tapped. You know, Bill says here, my intellectual heroes, the chemists, the astronomers, even the evolutionists, suggested vast laws and forces at work. And that's exactly what I grew up on. You know, I grew up on, um, you know, idolizing the intellect and the academic world. Um I was trying to fill a hole in my soul with bakery boxes and the contents of cellophane bags, not understanding that I had a spiritual malady. When I was beaten to a pulp by this disease and crawled in, uh, you know, to a conversation with someone in whom the problem had been solved, um, I was told that more than my compulsive overeating had to be arrested. My own philosophy, my ideas about life, 
my beliefs and attitudes, even though I was young in my early 20s, all of that had to be confronted and overhauled because the same consciousness that created the problem could not be the same consciousness that was going to solve the problem. The greatest obstacle to my recovery was my thinking. And so this program of recovery opened up a whole new world because once I had accepted step one, then I had to realize through pain that anything that came from my own resources, my will, my efforts, my goals, my philosophies, my good intentions, any intellect that I could summon up wasn't solving the problem of compulsive overeating. My human resources alone simply weren't sufficient. And so from that point, God could come through that wound. Whoever he was, whatever he was, didn't matter. I just knew it couldn't emanate from me. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Leah. Marie, we've got three minutes. Go ahead, Anne-Marie, you're up. Okay, thank you. This is Anne-Marie M. in uh, South Carolina, recovered compulsive overeater, and grateful for this meeting as well. And thank you, Amy, for your service. Um, like like so many people have already shared, um, you know, I grew up in a, in a religious family, a, a good family. I can't blame my addiction, any of my addictions on my family. Um, I, I believe I was born with them. And I came into program um, with the idea that I had done so much wrong that the God that, you know, I understood, I grew up with, was um, not going to not going to get, send me to heaven and wasn't going to do much for me because I had done so much wrong. I had an idea in my head that he was up in heaven uh, keeping track of like the good things I've done and the bad things I've done. And when I came into program, I learned of a loving, kind, compassionate God that always wants the best for me and that is always there for me. And that's the God that is within me today. Um, And I really liked what someone had earlier said, that man made religion and God made spirituality. Um, You know, I really liked that a lot. So in program, um, you know, for the longest time, you know, I, I thought I was relying on God. I really did. Until, you know, I wasn't able to get... I couldn't get abstinent. I'd have a few months or a few weeks here and there, and I couldn't get abstinent. And the reason being, even though I believed in this God, even though I believed this God was wonderful and kind and loving and uh, compassionate and had unconditional love for me, I was not relying on him because I thought I knew better. And that was the big turnaround for me. When I started relying on God, and the people that he put in my life. So um, with that, I will pass. Perfect timing. Thanks, Anne-Marie M. Appreciate it. I'd like to thank everyone who has shared. What an awesome meeting. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will um, Becky K., I'm sorry, uh, Wendy M., please go ahead and read our vision for you. A vision for you. Hi, this is Wendy M. Recovered in Colorado. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. 
Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Thank you.